Hello everyone and welcome back to Let's Talk with Scott Ellis. We are so happy to know that you are out there and listening. We love when you respond to the show by emailing our guests or emailing me at scott at scottellisreads.com. I'm so glad that you're here. We have a great, great guest for you this month. Her name is Christine Fallard-Cassides, and she has written Magda Standing. I hope you'll enjoy this interview. Let's get started. Welcome back, my friends. I am so glad to have you back for another episode of Let's Talk with Scott Ellis. I consider myself lucky to have you here. I'm really grateful for the time that you spend listening to our podcast. And if this is your first episode listening, thank you for being here and check out some of the other great guests that I've had. Uh, Very much like my guest today. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing to you Christine Fallert Cassides. We're going to be talking about her debut novel, Magda Standing. It's an historical young adult fiction novel set in Pittsburgh during World War I and the Spanish flu pandemic. I know we all don't remember that, but boy, we remember the latest one. Christine was born in Pittsburgh. She's a graduate of both Northwestern and Princeton universities, which puts her in the category of way smarter than me, which is probably 95% of the public. But (laughs) she's formerly a report writer for the World Bank, and she now spends a lot of her time volunteering for nonprofits, uh, such as Giving Together, where she is the grant committee co-chair, and it supports Uh, nonprofit organizations supporting women and children in need. It's uh, part of a local giving circle. So it's my pleasure to welcome Christine. Christine, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Scott. I'm really uh, very pleased, first of all, that I found out about Scott Ellis Reads from a a writer's conference uh, webinar that you gave. So I'm, I'm It's really been wonderful working with you, and I I look forward to talking more about the book now. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Yeah, it was, uh, I I remember talking with your your writers group, and, you know, that's something that we we do a lot, and we get to meet great people, and sometimes they turn out to be even greater clients (laughs) like like you, and you um, came to us to to have this book narrated, which is uh, narrated by Heidi Hausch which is just, I'm so glad to have her on my team of narrators. I think she is just, she is a special narrator. She's so great. So let's, let's talk about this, this book. Um, first off, why young adult and historical fiction? Well, to be honest, I hadn't really known much about the young adult category, as it's called. It's not considered a genre per se. It's a it's a category of marketing, really. Um, but several years ago, I was recording books for a nonprofit called Learning Ally, which records books for young people with reading disabilities. And they were assigning me young adult books. And as I was reading them, I thought, 
these are absolutely fascinating. They're geared to generally a teenage and precocious preteen audience. And uh, they deal with subjects of coming of age, um, uh, challenging family and social constraints for the first time, going out into the world as, and st stretching your independence uh, for the first time, young love, first time. So as I was thinking about my story, I knew I wanted the uh, protagonist to be a teenager. So it seemed kind of natural to go for that group. And in terms of historical fiction, first of all, it's my favorite genre to read because while I'm taking the time to read a story, I wanna also be learning about a time and place I don't know about. And in this case, because it was based partly on uh, family, on some family stories, I wanted to go back in time. I had to go back in time. So I can uh, I can explain why it's in the World War I era. First of all, I started it with an important story of my mother's life, which was uh, that her her own mother had an unexplained mental illness that required her to be hospitalized. And she actually had electroshock therapy in the 30s when it was just being developed and it was pretty rough. And while my mother was, while her, my grandmother was hospitalized, my mother had to uh, take care of her younger siblings with the help of her older sister. She also had a great deal of support from two maiden great aunts who were uh, unmarried school teachers and school administrators. And they were feisty, independent, strong-willed women who gave my mother a lot of support, but also a lot of ambition for her own life. And I wanted these, these women's experience to be uh, very much a, a major part of the story. But this was in the 30s, 30s mostly when my, in my mother's teenage years. Um, so I but I moved the story 20 years earlier because I also wanted to pick up another important element of family history. And that was that between my mother's side and my father's side, we lost three people to the Spanish flu. And nobody I have identified died in war as a combatant, but three were killed in the Spanish flu, were killed by the Spanish flu. And that was in 1918. So I moved the story 20 years earlier because I wanted to pick up that. And I also wanted to bring in the element of recent immigrants because all my family all of the family going back to, that I could identify to about 1850, they were all immigrants from Germany. And uh, and I, th I think the whole business of immigration is so centrally core to what this country is and what has made this, what makes this country great. That is what makes this country great, is the immigrants. And, um, and I wanted to be able to talk about the experience of why people came over, what led them to come over, what sent them, you know. And so so I put these elements together and that was my time and place and that was my um, impetus for the story. Hmm. So, so a lot of the characters that are in this book are uh, you know, based on people that were in your family and, and I know um, particularly the aunts, although I understand you never had the pleasure of of meeting the aunts but you were able to kind of write their stories and um mm -hmm. let them live on so yes well i remember my mother talking about them they were uh 
they were they were strong independent women who who had uh, important positions teaching school and administering schools and you know back then there weren't that many options for women other than to get married and raise families and and education was certainly one another one that was an option was to go into nursing although once a woman got married her working options tended to be very much reduced. But my uh, father's mother had studied nursing. She wasn't very well educated. She didn't go to high school, but she was able to take some kind of nursing course. This was around the 1910s. And I remember that she always thought of herself as a nurse and, and she talked about it proudly. So she never worked professionally, but this was before she was married. Um, so I wanted to pick up on that too, because I talk a lot about nurses in the story, partly because of the the context of the war and and the flu. And I've always felt we have do we have doctors in our family. We don't actually have nurses in our family yet, but um, but I think they're so central to to health and healing. And uh, and my mother, my grandmother was so proud of the training that she'd had. So that I wanted to put that in the story too. Yeah. So on, on this podcast, you know, we love to talk about the the books and the plot and, and give uh, potential readers and listeners an idea of, of what they're going to be in for. Um, but I also really love to talk about the behind the scenes, the how it came together. So you brought up a really interesting point. In order to uh, write a historical fiction book, I can't imagine the amount of, of research that goes in. And then you're also trying to write a little bit about your family. And then you compounded the issue by taking your family and moving them back in time 20 years. Can you talk about some some situations perhaps where the research that you did and moving the setting a little bit might have conflicted with an original idea that you had? You know, I'm, I'm not sure I'm really being clear in where my mind is. My mind and mouth don't often work together. Um, but <laughs> you should hear me narrate audiobooks. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, so basically, which which came first, the story or the historical research, and how did they affect each other? Well, first of all, I've always been interested in the World War One period, actually, even more than the World War Two period, because I think there's so many stories in movies uh, book in uh, novels, nonfiction, um, uh, and and movies about World War II, but World War One was almost as devastating, uh, and and uh, we didn't we don't really hear much about it. it. There's not much literature on it, so it, it's always been an interest of mine. So I'd I'd done a certain amount of background reading way before I I started uh, the idea of the novel. Similarly, I had a fascination with the Spanish flu because of the the real devastation that had happened, well, to the world, but also within my family. My father's father, who was a healthy 33-year-old with three three little children, uh, died within 48 hours uh, with, you know, just suddenly, very as it happened with most people, it happened very suddenly, and it happened mainly to young adults. I mean, they were the ones who died mainly. And so I read everything I could get. And as we approached the anniversary in 2018, there seemed to be a kind of spate of books that came out at the time. And so I read those. 
and and so they they these these general readings were putting me in the context of that 1910s period to when i thought of of writing uh fiction about this what sparked my imagination was first of all my mother's experience of having to stay home and take care of her siblings because her mother was mentally ill so i wanted that to feature but an interesting thing that happens sometimes, you know, when you're doing historical fiction, you have to be careful about anachronisms. And so the first draft of the story, I completed a reasonably polished first draft of the story. And I had it that um, in 1917, uh, that uh, Magda's mother w uh, went into a mental, went into a mental institution and was given electroshock therapy. And then one of the eight, one of the editors said, have you checked when that started? And I had read up on electroshock therapy, but somehow I had missed the dates. And it turned out that that only was first used in the thirties. So I thought, uh Oh, okay. What am I going to do? This is, I got to go back and research something else. So I won't say what I did as an alternative, but, um, but I, I had to, you know, scurry around and do some more research to what what sort of things were done for people who had various illnesses that were unexplained in the um, in the teens and, and earlier. So that's that's something that that can happen when you're writing historical fiction. You have to be you have to be careful about that. And some things some things don't have to matter a whole lot if you as long as you write it so that it's plausible. You don't have to have precisely the, the right things. As a matter of fact, I was I, attending a play a couple nights ago. The play was set in the mid uh, 1990s, and the characters were all using small cell phones. And afterwards, my friend, we were talking, we were saying, uh, that's an anachronism. We didn't have the little cell, I'm not even sure we had the cell phones. I can't remember when they came up, but we didn't have the little ones in the mid 1990s. But it didn't really matter. For the purposes of the play, the actors were able to walk around on stage by holding the phone. So, you know, you can suspend your um, your uh, strict uh, credence with certain things, but, uh, but others you can't. And so I knew that when I found out that I had a problem with electroshock therapy, I knew that I had to, I had to find an alternative. That's kind of how I, put the, the facts and the historical discussion together. I didn't have, unfortunately, any, any artifacts from family members that gave me factual information about their background. My, my parents hadn't left any letters. Uh, my grandparents hadn't left any letters. I didn't have anything like that. There were some family photos, but nothing very revealing. Uh, I did an ancestry search on ancestry.com and a cousin, I did it on my mother's side. A cousin did it on um, our father's side. And we were able to identify the areas in Germany where people came from and able to find from census records, things like what their professions were. Um, but beyond that, I, I, didn't, I didn't get actual stories about why they left when they left. But I, around about that same time, I discovered the German American Heritage Museum in downtown Washington, which was very convenient because I lived right near there. 
and um, it's a foundation and it has a, it has a, a little museum and they do uh, sort of support historical, some historical research. And they also uh, have nice activities to acknowledge artists and scientists and entrepreneurs of German heritage who've made contributions in the US. And so one of the early things that happened as I was getting closer to thinking concretely about this book, they had an author present who had done very detailed research on immigrants, emigrants from Germany um, in the 1800s and, and with lots of detailed records, letters and and facsimiles of their um, of their emigration uh, um, papers and all the, all this kind of thing, but lots and lots of details about what they were going through. And so that was really helpful because basically I could kind of pick up some of these stories and understand what was happening in Germany at the time that my relatives also were leaving, even though my relevant I had no contact with my relatives. I was able to interview one. Uh, one of my, well, my mother's youngest brother, who's my godfather, who's in his 90s and very sharp and healthy and had um, had some memories for me, but there was a lot he didn't know. Like he didn't know, he said that his mother's, his mother's mental illness was never discussed. Uh, it was never, they were never given a specific diagnosis. I think it was clinical depression, but you know, back then they didn't talk about it. So it was all a big mystery. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there when you start getting into kind of that history that is personally close, you know, that now you're trying to present in a story that will appeal to uh, a larger audience. So let's let's um, let's give people a taste of of what this audiobook sounds like. It's narrated by Heidi Hausch, and it is available on Amazon.com, Audible.com, Apple Books. It runs just over nine and uh, a half hours, so it's a great value uh, for your money to get some nice, lengthy entertainment. And uh, we're going to listen to this first sample. Uh, can you set the stage for what's going on here. This is Magda coming home and presenting her report card, of which she is very proud. Um, can you kind of give us where these characters are at this moment? Magda has completed her second year of high school, and she's gotten very good grades. She's been uh, named to the High School Honor Society, and her big concern is that she wants to continue and finish high school. But She's the only member of her family, the only one of her, of her, none of her siblings went to high school. And it was still fairly unusual back then. And uh, the only reason she got to go is that she wanted to so badly, but her parents hadn't gone, her siblings hadn't gone. And so she's bringing her, her uh, report card home, hoping that it, this won't be an issue for her to continue. All right, let's listen to Heidi Hausch and narrating Magda standing. 1916. Magda was tall enough now to look eye-level at the principal, a twinge of anxiety and anticipation replaced awe and intimidation. It was as if he held a key to her future. Excellent grades, he said, handing Magda her 10th grade report card. She relaxed the breath she'd been holding, his stiff high collar pinched his plump neck, squeezing out a tight smile. You should be a teacher someday, 
like your aunts. Please, give them my regards. Thank you, sir, Magda bobbed a curtsy and turned away to leave the line of students in the auditorium. Her aunts were her heroines, but could she become something more? Maybe something even they hadn't been able to imagine, like making her mark somewhere far from Pittsburgh. She opened the little booklet, A's in all classes but civics, but she had been sick for that final exam. Magda pressed the card to her heart through the rough pinafore dampened with sweat in the June heat. She walked back to her chair, sharing a grin with her best friend, Lucia. When she'd begged to start high school two years ago, Papa had relented but warned her not to expect to graduate. It wasn't a priority for the family. But how could he object now to completing her studies? If she kept up the good grades, maybe she could go on to college, maybe even medical school. Good grades still might not be enough to convince him, but if she got an award, she'd surely have nothing to worry about. After handing out the last card, the principal made the announcement everyone was waiting for. And now, the students admitted to our high school honors society for 1916. Please rise as I call your name. The students all knew the principal based the selection not just on grades, but on his own estimation of leadership potential and other factors he never explained. It wasn't an objective decision, but Magda needed this. She bit her lip. Magdalena Augustine. At the sound of her name, she stood abruptly, loudly bumping the empty chair in front of her. She reddened as the students seated in the first rows turned to stare and lowered her head for a quick sideways glance at the others whose names had also been called. In the class of 100, about a half dozen girls and at least twice the number of boys were on their feet. The students milled about noisily after dismissal, talking excitedly about various parties to celebrate the year's end. Mary Alice came up and gave Magda a quick hug. Congratulations! Can I see it? She pointed to the small collar pin the honorees had been given, still clutched in Magda's hand. You deserve it, said Paulina, with a quick peck on Magda's cheek. But it would have been nice if he included more of the girls. Magda's excitement dimmed a little. She had to acknowledge that. As usual, she rode the trolley toward home with Lucia, who chatted about her plans to spend several weeks with cousins near Conneaut Lake, just north of Pittsburgh. Magda's family never took a vacation, but she looked forward to spending as much of the summer outdoors with friends and a good book as her regular chores allowed. Magda squeezed Lucia's hand as they parted near their houses. She always tried to go into hers alone. Her heart beat fast, despite the slow pace of her steps. Papa had completed his milk deliveries, and he and Mama sat in the kitchen when Magda entered. Crumbs of bread and cheese speckled the table. Dirty dishes from breakfast lay encrusted in the sink. Magda handed her report card to Papa first with a small flourish. The principal announced I'm in the Honor Society. Without a word, her father put on his glasses and read the card, rubbing his beard. He showed it to Mama, who gave it a quick glance and a wan smile. Magda's heart pounded louder when she saw his frown as he handed it back. Magdalena, you are a good girl, and you make us proud. Hard-working and smart like all of our family, but... Magda's fear burst out of her throat. No, Papa, you won't say... Her fingernails cut into the card. I already said that you do not need to finish the high school. You can learn the rest of what you need to know by reading, as we all did. Will you help your mother here? Magda stared at her father with wild eyes. 
No, I can't. I want to learn more. Hear me out, my girl. But why couldn't he listen to her? You've already got more schooling than the rest of us. It was true that Magda's parents only finished six years of primary back in Germany. Instead of attending high school, her brothers Tony and Fred had gone to learn trades, and her sisters Kitty and Willa took paying jobs with their domestic skills outside the home. And there we have it. The book is off and running. Uh, there's nine hours and 44 minutes left for you to enjoy of this uh, book. It's available on Amazon.com, Audible.com, and Apple Books. Um, you know, I'm reminded of when I was, you know, I was a classroom teacher for almost 30 years and middle school mostly. So I have read uh, more young adult novels than I think I could ever list. And, you know, as you said earlier, it's a great category. And, you know, people in my family, my wife, you know, my my friends, they would see me reading some of these, you know, middle school novels and they'd say, oh, that's good, Scott. One of these days you'll graduate to big boy books. And, you know, I, I, I warn listeners and readers not to judge a book by its category. Just because a book is labeled young adult, it does not mean that it is not deep and thought-provoking and, you know, educational and entertaining. It might have fewer subplots. It might have, it might be a little cleaner than, uh, you know, some of your, your mainstream novels, but my goodness, if, if you're an adult listening to this and you haven't listened to the category of, of young adult fiction and nonfiction, uh, this would be a great one to start with, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's a challenging genre, I think, for actually for all age groups, because the essence of it is emotion, really. I mean, the thing about the teenage years is that your emotions are primary, right? I mean, they sort of drive you. And this was one of the things actually that was challenging as an author is that I was advised by experienced YA authors that um, friendships and emotions and discovering yourself and, and, and managing your emotions towards your ambitions is what that's all about. And I think we all still kind of struggle with that to some extent, but that's kind of the core of this category of young adult books. I was I was lucky enough to um, narrate a young adult uh, fiction title um, that actually won audiobook of the year for young adult fiction, um, and, and uh, you know it was it was such a great story. I, it was one of the books that I had the most difficult finishing with a strong voice because it was so uh, you know it, it just had me the emotions and and bringing this book um to closure was uh whew, it was tough so there's just there's so much in these young adult novels that even full-blown adults <laughs> can certainly enjoy so um that's just that's great. So tell me about your your plans for this book. What do you hope to do with it? And where do you hope to see it go? Well, first of all, it was released in uh, on June 13th. And fortunately, um, I, I live in the Washington, D.C. area, and we have a lot of book festivals in this general area. 
Also, it's set in Pittsburgh. I should have mentioned it's set in Pittsburgh, where I grew up and where a good number of my relatives had had um, had settled. And Pittsburgh, as it turns out, has a large literary community, and they have a book festival. So there were two book festivals already in May where I could go with an advanced copy and meet other authors and meet and meet uh, some readers, and that was that was really fortuitous. And then um, and then the the um, it was really fortunate, as I said, to discover the German American Heritage Museum, which is a membership organization. It's a nonprofit, and they invite members to to join. And so they have a network. And I discovered from them that people who claim German heritage are the largest na single nationality in this country. It's uh, in the 2015 census, 46 million people uh, reported that they had German heritage. Not 100 percent, but you know, that what, it was the first in the list of ones that were declared, higher than Irish, higher than Italian, higher than Mexican. And so there are a lot of, and I'm running into people constantly who say, oh, my grandparents were German. Um, and uh, also a lot of people say, yeah, I'm from the Pittsburgh area. Turns out there are a lot of people from the Pittsburgh area. So uh, even though it's a relatively small city, so I, it was really good to be able to take advantage of that geographic connection and the, the, uh, the German Heritage Museum and, and their network. So then um, my publisher is very small, Bold Story Press, and they don't have a, a major um, marketing arm themselves, but they gave a lot of good advice. And I did hire a publicist for several months, still working with her, and um, so, one of the main things is because it because it's young adult, I certainly want to target schools and libraries. And so I've been sending it to uh, to high schools and hoping that it will spread from there uh, and to library associations. Uh, bookstore readings are also a, a great idea, although a lot of bookstores book, apparently I discovered, book these events well in advance. So um, I don't have any of those scheduled just yet, but that's always something to look at um, in, in, your, in your area or outside your area. And um, social media, of course, many people are well aware of this more than I was really, but uh, social media is very big in promoting, in promoting books. And the interesting thing is that um, apparently during the pandemic, uh, reading and listening to audiobooks has grown amazingly, especially audiobooks. And a lot of the uh, influencing and recommendations and so forth are happening through sites such as uh, such as Goodreads, Amazon, of course, um, through Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and so on. So I think it it helps to have somebody who's who's really uh, well versed in in social media to to help you uh, to help you with marketing but but it's it's kind of tough because you i'm told that more than 1.5 million books come out every year in the US you have your maybe 15 minutes of attention to your book you know and then it's swept away by by others so that's that's one reason to as much as possible kind of stretch your network across different modalities, across different sources, even across different geographies, if possible. So we'll, we'll see how that goes.
So for authors that may be listening, um, you know, I, I hope you were taking notes on some of those marketing ideas because, you know, Christine, as I mentioned to you before we started recording this interview, I'm really impressed with your marketing. And it's it's one of the things that uh, authors talk to me a lot about and they say, I, I don't know how to market my audiobook. And I say, well, let's not market your audiobook. Let's market your story. Let's market you. And they say, oh, yeah, I don't do that either. How do I do that? You know, so, uh, you know, you mentioned a lot of great strategies there. You know, first, recognizing that social media is just where it's at. Uh, and, you know, you have many social media platforms that that you're visible on. You put yourself out there in in book festivals and book signings, um, you know, speaking at the uh, German Heritage Museum. You have a website dedicated specifically to the book, www.magda-standing.com. Uh, great, great marketing strategies. Um, you know, you're giving out free copies of the, the audio book that you have available, and, and we'll find out for people how to get in touch with you to maybe get one of those to be able to, to do a review. But um, yeah, excellent. You have a, a very solid marketing presence for this book. And, and that's just, that's great. Well, thank you. I, 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 I hope so. I I'm told, I'm told by the publisher that one of the most important things is getting reviews, especially onto Amazon on the book's homepage, because Amazon's algorithm for suggesting books to readers, like if you go into Amazon and you say, looking for a YA historical fiction, uh, in order for your title to pop up, you have to have a good number of reviews and ratings listed there. And um, I'm told it has to be well into the dozens. Yeah. So, um, so that's something, you know, you can, you can request, you can encourage, you can hope that people will do that. It's actually very easy to post a review. You just click on the review thing and you can put in one or two sentences and you don't even have to choose stars, but you can choose the stars if you want. Um, and and that that really helps an author a lot. Another thing, by the way, I should mention, I found that the author community is a wonderful place out there. And in part, I discovered this through um, near near where I live is the Writers Center in Bethesda, Maryland, which is a nonprofit that gives classes and webinars and uh, writers groups, and they're very supportive. But also one of the things that I've done is when I read a book that I really like, especially if it's in a relevant area, I contact the author through their, usually through their website, or you can Google somehow to get in touch with them. And I've had some, I've developed some really nice relationships with some of those authors and I've supported their work and they support my work. And one of the interesting things was um, just accidentally, I found another author who wrote Another book on set in World War One, uh, Spanish flu, and it was middle grade focused. Middle grade is basically middle school anywhere from about age ten to age twelve. So our books are perfect complements. Hers is called Pharmacy Girl, and the author is Kate Zegda. And I should suggest to her that she make an audiobook with you. <laughs> um, and. And, uh, and, and it's really cool. So I've, I've 
she wrote me a review and I wrote, uh, I, I featured her book on my website. And so that's, that's another thing, you know, because different writers have different networks. And another one is um, Laura, Laura Elliott. She writes middle grade and young adult novels, and they're all historical fiction, highly, highly um, received, well-received novels. And she was also very generous. So again, you know, it's, we have a common bailiwick. She's, she's much more experienced. She's been doing it for, I don't know, maybe 20, 20 or more years. And um, uh, we have a mutual friend. That's how I found out about her. And, uh, and her books are wonderful. I've read, I've read her books also. They're very thoroughly researched. So I learned so much about the eras that she writes about. They're all, um, all but one of them are based in, in important periods of US history. Getting the encouragement from another author is, is really, is really useful to really helpful. Yeah. And, you know, that just adds to your marketing prowess of, you know, reaching out to these, these authors, you're developing relationships, you're broadening your influential circle, so to speak. What a, what a great way to, to do that. And, you know, to, to people that are, are listening to our interview, you know, I hope you heard that even a couple of sentences of a review speak volumes and give you know, particularly, uh, you know, the independent authors and the the smaller publisher authors that we're working with, uh, it gives them a a fighting chance against some of the 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 big guys that get all of the attention. You know, we're we're trying to uh, bring the attention down to some of those other one point five million books a year that you mentioned. You know, so. Um, because there are some great authors and great stories out there that, uh, you know, we can all benefit from taking part in. So that's fantastic. So I, I want to switch gears here and let's let's give some advice to writers out there who are are thinking about possibly trying their hand at uh, historical fiction or already do, but are looking to uh, get a little more efficient and proficient. Uh, how do you organize your research? First of all, a good bit of the research that I did initially, I wasn't planning it as research to write this novel. So a lot of my early reading in World War I and the Spanish flu, I was co- sort of collecting books and uh, marking them up because of my personal interest. Um, and and as I started writing the book, I went back and I would actually sometimes um, make a make a separate special note about uh, about the the details, like you know what were the symptoms of the Spanish flu exactly, and um, wh- when did they say it started? A chronology. I worked a lot with a chronology because even though I was moving the story twenty years earlier than my than my my mother's story. But I had to keep track of which family members or which characters in the story immigrated at what time, and then what was happening in Germany in that time. So I kept I kept a chronology so that I was I w- wasn't putting you know, a cart before the horse at any point. I I kept a separate document file, and whenever I would research something, I'd put the I put it into that document file, including the source, what the source was, so that I could go back and double check on it later. And um, so I have a big thick 
document that's that's that I call research that that I kept that I kept everything in and um, and some some handwritten notes, but mostly very early on, I decided to type out the notes because I wanted to be able to keep them uh, safer. And I and I also saved my work very in, in multiple sources, including on USB sticks, because I was I had the experience a few years ago of spilling coffee on my computer keyboard. Do not put liquids near your computer keyboard. The least liquid will destroy it. And I was desperately afraid of, you know, losing Magda to the ether if I if I if that happened. So I I I double saved and triple saved and sent myself email attachments of my research. You know, I as soon as I would get a certain number of pages, I'd send it to myself as an email attachment. So I could be pretty pretty sure that I that I still had it. I also did things like I went to I went to museums. Uh, I went to photography exhibits to the extent I found them. When I, I visited Pittsburgh and went to um, some museums there and took pictures of of things that were from the time, I I was able to find the house that my my grandparents lived in at the time my grandfather died of a Spanish flu, and so I used that house, that description of that house in the book. And and some some research was you know some things kind of happen almost accidentally you just discover things oh and then from the German American Heritage Museum also they put out a book kind of summarizing uh, the some of the various inventions and contributions that German Germans had brought about in the U S and I mention a number of those things I fit them into the story in various ways so that was that was fun great. And I know that you are a member of a uh, writer's group, uh, you know, in your local area. Um, how strongly would you recommend to authors, new authors, wannabe authors, uh, to get involved in a writer's group? And kind of at what point in their journey uh, would it be helpful? Well, one of the first things I did when I was just barely thinking about writing this, I joined the the Writer's Center in Bethesda which is, as I said, a nonprofit that gives classes to writers or to people who just are interested in writing. And um, at the time, since this was heading into the pandemic, all of the classes were online. And still many of them, even after the pandemic, are online. So so you can participate in that uh, even if you're outside the area. There are also, I discovered, many other sources of classes for writers, many, many. Uh, the the Highlights Foundation is one, writing for children and, and children and middle grade and young adults. There's the Society of Children's Books Writers and Illustrators, SCBWI, which is very active. So all these organizations, they give webinars as well as classes. They have conferences. They typically have an annual conference. Um, I participated when it was in my area, not, uh, but then you can participate virtually. They're usually membership organizations, but it's not that expensive to be a member and it gives you freer access to things. And the Maryland Writers Association was another one, uh, which has members who are not just from Maryland, they're uh, from actually kind of the middle Atlantic states. And I think every part of the country, I'm sure has these kinds of associations. And a writer's group, which is a little bit like a book club where you share excerpts of your writing with a group 
Um, I did that for a while. The group unfortunately folded after a few months. It was it was helpful while it continued, and I made a couple of good writer friends through it. But um, but that group didn't last too long. So I I found um, other other people to be my beta readers, as you call it, people who read the book before before it comes out. But I but I think um, that kind of support was absolutely essential. I mean. I had not written, this is my debut novel, and the only reason I could write a novel is that I took these, a number of classes with very good instructors who focused on the craft, uh, how, you, how you do a plot, how you do dialogue, what not to do, um, how, to, how to develop character, you know, these things that, um, point of view. These things that you you learned about in an English class, but that was a long time ago, and uh, and learning about these things as you're focusing on what you're writing is incredibly helpful. So I'm I'm so glad to hear you reiterate debut novel. You didn't say this is my only novel. This is the only thing I'll ever write. So um, how do people find you? And, uh, you know, on the, the social media world and, and on the Internet, how do they find you so that they can keep tabs on you and find out when more novels are released? And are there any in the works? Well, this because this has so freshly come out, I have to say I'm just focusing on Magda's standing. Um, people have some people have asked me about a sequel and it's. It's kind of buzzing in the back of my mind the way Magda was several years ago. If I were to do a sequel, I'd have to do another bout of historical research, which I love doing, but I haven't really started that yet. So I would say it's it's enough of a wait that um, don't don't be poised just yet to follow me. And that's one reason why on my website I put it in Magda's name, not in my own. And um, but but if I get to the point where I have something else to share, I will certainly share it there. And I have an Instagram account, which is also in Magda's name. And and that's just where that is so far. But if I when if I get to the point where I, you know, I really have something to share, I will be more than happy to to let everybody know, including you. Great. All right. Excellent. So the um the main website then to check out would be the www.magda-standing.com. Uh, you can learn more about the book there. You can learn more about the author there. And I believe there is even a way for people to contact you through that page, because there may still be, when you hear this episode, uh, there may still be some promo codes that uh, Christine can send you so that you can listen to Magda standing uh, for free and leave one of those very helpful reviews. So we would thank you in advance for any review that you might put up there, particularly the audio book uh, narrated by Heidi Hausch. Christine fallert Cassides, it's been fantastic talking with you. I really appreciate your time, and um, I would wish you luck with Magda standing, but we know it's going to be fantastic. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. It's really been wonderful working with Scott Ellis Reads also, I have to say, and uh, I just recommended to a friend who has published a book that she 
contact you as well. Wonderful. I'll look forward to it. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Christine Fallert Cassidis. I told you in the intro that you were really going to enjoy this episode. I hope you liked it. Please reach out to Christine and, you know, as we talked about, if you read the book or listen to the audio version, please, please, please help these independent authors by going back and giving a review. An honest review, good, bad, or indifferent, it doesn't matter. The most important thing is that you say something. We've really enjoyed having you along with us this month. Be sure to check out our new video podcast episode called The Small Business Spotlight, where each month we spotlight a small business and its owner. So if you know of a small business owner that you'd like to see promoted on our podcast, Please reach out, let us know. In the meantime, keep checking out some of the other episodes that we have in our catalog. Reach out to some of the authors that you might have heard on our program. And most importantly, read or listen to their books. Hey, thank you so much for being here for us. We really appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.